Are you interested in learning more about GitOps and continuous delivery? Join the Continuous Delivery Foundation and the Cloud Native Computing Foundation for CDCon plus GitOpsCon happening May 8th and 9th in Vancouver. The event will foster collaboration, discussion, and knowledge sharing by bringing communities to start shaping the future of GitOps and CD. We're excited to offer a special discount code for Cloudcast listeners. Simply use the code PODCAST10 for 10% off when you register. Act fast. That's PODCAST10 when you register for GitOpsCon and CDCon. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to The Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, uh, you know, it's a big show today. Uh, not only that, you and I have actually, I think, gotten together more in person this year than we have in <laughs> in many, many, many years. Have you have you recovered from our uh, our night out the other night? Oh man, that was so. Yes, I I did, but that was rough. Like uh, definitely getting older and starting to feel it. I think is definitely a theme for this year, though. Yeah, so we may have to post some of those pictures publicly. It was a lot of fun. We had a chance to uh, to, to do some costume stuff and dress up for charity and, and raise a bunch of money. So that was all fun. But uh, well, today's let, a big. Let me tell my Diva hat story real quick. Oh yeah, please do. That. So, so dress up for charity. Um, I wore a Diva hat, which that alone, yeah, I have to probably post pictures. Uh, multiple people wanted their picture with me, and one of them was a a younger lady. Um, and she said, "Oh my gosh, can I get a picture? Can I get a picture?" I said, "Yes, absolutely." And as we're getting the picture, she's like. Yes, this will be so awesome. My dad has a Devo t-shirt and he's going to love this. <laughs> oh, I'm so old. We are officially so old. We are officially so old. Today's a big show, man. And and I guess in that context of us being uh, you know, being a little more on the mature side, this is this is uh we are now part of the 700 club. Yes. Yes. Not, it not is that 700 club, but <laughs> the show is now part of of the 700. This is our our 700th show. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing to me. And we were talking about it, like how long the podcast has lasted and, and also, uh, the, the evolution and other things that have changed and, and morphed over the years. And, and we also have some stats that we were going to talk about some other 700s, but then when we put the list together, we're like, oh gosh, I don't know if this list makes us look good or not. Well, I, yeah. So I, you know, I, I started doing a little bit of research. Um, you know, I was looking up like any sort of like interesting historical significance of the number 700 or whatever. So 700 uh, for the the math nerds out there is the sum of four consecutive prime numbers, uh, 167, 173, 179, and 181. Um, that means nothing to me, but it was on the top of the Wikipedia page. So that must be important. Um, and then I, you know, I got to thinking, I was like, well, 700, that's, that's a big milestone. We've really achieved something. And then I went out and I was like, well, what are other big milestones that people care about? Um, both Ronaldo and Messi both scored more than 700 goals. So we are, uh, 827 and 795 respectively. So we're way behind them. So we um, got to get to 800 shows. We got to get to, yeah. Cause they probably won't play for that much longer, although maybe they will. Um, babe, uh, Barry Bonds, who holds the home run record in us baseball, 762. So we're behind him. Uh, the Simpsons have had 743 episodes and Dr. Who has had 862 episodes. So we're behind, still behind all of those, uh, amazing achievements and, uh, you know, world, you know, world renowned things. So we're, you know, we're still pretty small in the, in the big picture of things, but, uh, yeah, 700 still, still a thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proud of it. I think we've 
at one point I got to go back. We used to add up all the minutes that you could listen to the show. And I think you could listen. Oh, man, It's like a week long. If, I mean, if you were really, really bored, you could listen to the show for like a week long end to end 24 by seven. So I'll go back and get that updated number. Maybe I'll do it at the midweek well, show, you know, mid year show or something. And I would say this, you know, challenge to the listeners out there. Is there anybody that that has listened to all 700? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to know anybody who's listened since year one. Um, you know, maybe, and I know our parents aren't even included in that. Our friends and family probably aren't included in that. But uh, yeah, any, anybody who's listened for for a really long time, let us know. Uh, maybe we'll break out some old vintage T-shirts or something that we have laying around in the closet. That we're welcome to send out. The other sort of milestone we have before we before we get to our guest, uh, we are going to since we're just talking about milestones, we're going to cross twelve million listens uh, this month. So that is a. Uh, that's that's less of, a, of an achievement for you and I and more of a just a massive, massive thank you to everybody who listens to the show. 12, 12 million times people have clicked play uh, on the Cloudcast and, and heard whatever intro music we've had over the year. So um, big deal. Uh, there's only six states in the United States that have 12 million people. There's only 77 countries out of like 250 or 300 in the world that have 12 million people. So, you know, we're at least as big as like Ohio, I guess, maybe that's the way to think of it. We're the, we're like the Ohio of podcasts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so 12 million and 700 kind of big numbers. Uh, very proud of it. Very thankful for everybody who listens. Um, do you have a favorite show, Aaron? Have you, have, do you have a favorite show or guest that we've been on that you've, you've hosted or we've, we've been on together? So still the, the, I mean, there's been just amazing talks and I've learned so much, uh, from the guests over the years. I mean, that's been the biggest takeaway for me yeah, is, is yeah. the amount of learning we've done. But I would say like the highlight one for me is still the, the Andy Weir, um, you know, author of the Martian getting to do the podcast with him. Cause that was just a, a geek fame, uh, kind yeah. of moment. Um, that, that was definitely a highlight, but I, I would say another one that, we haven't done it in a number of years. And, and actually, I probably should have checked because I don't even know if they did it this year. But the charity raises, we haven't done it in a couple of years, but the Christmas yeah. run, yeah. Um, I think they're back to doing it again. I think they did it this year. We did not do it. But I mean, I want to say, I mean, you might know the more current number. It was like over 35,000 for charity yeah. from the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, over yeah. the years. Um, so that's really amazing, and that's something I would I would love for us to get back into. To yeah, we need to get back and, and do some stuff to get back. Absolutely. So we, yeah, the, the eating a dozen donuts probably not good for our long term health, but yeah, there are plenty of other things we can do with the community, and uh, maybe we can find something that's, um, you know, I obviously love we'd love to do stuff that's local, but maybe we'll do some stuff that's that's a little broader in scope too that'll bring in a few more people. So. Anyways, well, listen, uh, we used to have a, a really long tradition of, of having what we thought was just an absolute A-list guest on all of the 100 shows, 100, 200, and so forth. We drifted a little bit from that, I think, just because we sort of forgot about some of the milestones. This week is definitely a A-plus list guest. So uh, I'll hold off on, on announcing who they are. We'll get to it after the break. But uh, this is definitely one you're going to want to listen to, uh, a complete rock star in your industry. Very excited to have him on the show. And uh Aaron, congratulations to you on 700 and uh, congratulations to our audience on, uh, on being part of 12 million. It's uh, I think it's a big deal. So absolutely. Everyone. Right. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And we'll get to our guest right after the break. Today's episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by Datadog. Bring speed and scale to your security organization. Datadog cloud security platform delivers real-time threat detection and continuous configuration audits across applications, hosts, containers, and cloud infrastructure. Built on top of the observability platform, Datadog brings 
unprecedented integration between security and DevOps aligned to shared organizational goals. As a listener to the Cloudcast, you can sign up for a free two-week trial to see for yourself how Datadog can elevate your cloud infrastructure security posture by visiting datadog.com slash security dash cloudcast. Sign up now and receive a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com slash security dash cloudcast. Are you struggling to keep up with the demands of managing and securing identity in your distributed enterprise IT environment? You're not alone, but don't let it hold you back. With Strata's identity orchestration platform, you can secure all your apps on any cloud with any IDP, so your IT teams will never have to refactor for identity again. Imagine modernizing app identity in minutes instead of months, deploying passwordless on any trickled app, and achieving business resilience with always-on identity, all from one lightweight and flexible platform. Want to see it in action? Share your identity challenge with us on a discovery call, and we'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cloudcast. That's strata.io slash cloudcast. And we're back. And, you know, folks, uh, we got a lot of really good feedback about uh, the look-ahead shows, the shows that we do in January, sort of a big topic look-ahead shows. And one of the shows that we really wanted to do, but unfortunately due to just some scheduling stuff, you know, people get busy and so forth, is we really wanted to to dive into, you know, what is what does a developer's world look like these days? There's so many things going on with developers, whether it's AI or mobile or microservices or serverless or just a million different things out there. And uh, we've been wanting to do this show for a while. Not only that, we've been wanting to have this guest on for a while. So really, really excited to have James Governor, who is the co-founder of Redmonk. Uh, if you're a developer, you know James. If you're, if you're an infrastructure, you may not know him, but you really should. James, great to have you on the show. Really excited to finally have you on the Cloudcast. Great. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, we've uh, we've known you for a while. Aaron and I have both known you for a while. We get a chance to to run into you from time to time at events. But uh, for anybody who's maybe not familiar with Redmonk, um, all the good things that you and Stephen and, and the whole crew of monks do, give us a little bit of background on uh, on Redmonk and and kind of where you guys focus. Yes, yeah, so we are a research and advisory company. Uh, we try and understand. Uh, technology directions and the way we do that is we really focus on practitioners so software developers um ops practitioners you know there are plenty of companies that do research from the perspective of really kind of a more purchasing led um view of the world but but our consulting and advisory is all about uh engineering led technology adoption so if we think about the patterns that have been underpinned um you know the past couple of decades uh open source you know laterally uh the cloud uh, increasingly sort of uh, the social side of things, platform like GitHub, um, we're really about understanding a world in which there's a bit less permission involved, um, often in um, decision-making in tech. And yeah, bottom-up adoption, that's what we 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 understand. Um, we spend a lot of time really just trying to understand, as I say, developers, the choices they make, uh, developer culture, and helping others to understand that. Yeah, yeah, no, and you guys... You guys have done an awesome job for 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 many 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 years. I've I've been lucky enough to be both a a client, but also just to kind of see how you guys interact with the community. So, um, very excited to have you on. I want, we want to dive into just a bunch of developer centric topics that I think um, people always have questions about. So, you know, as you guys as you guys look out, uh, you know, kind of take a broad view of things. How do you 
I don't know. How, how do you mentally sort of think about about the different? Is it do you think about developers as as different tasks, the things they do? So a a data scientist is different than a mobile developer. Do you do you think about kind of functionally what they do? Like how do they how they're you know how effective they are? Like how how do you tend to think about when people say developers? You know, do you have sort of a mindset or a hierarchy of of how you think about what they do or or how they do things? I don't know about a hierarchy, but obviously there are different kinds of developers. Um, there are, you know, any number of different ways that we could um, uh, kind of delineate that or kind of come up with some kind of taxonomy. Um, but yeah, not all developers have the same uh, tasks ahead of them. And of course, to the point, you know, we, we use developers as a bit of a shorthand um, certainly data scientists would be one of the constituencies that we'd be trying to understand the decisions they're making um, and why. Um, the one thing I would say is that we're probably at our best as a firm. And indeed, I think the industry moves forward you know, most effectively when things become a bit more general purpose. So if we think about the mobile space, uh, and this, this goes back a ways, um, but in the days when it was all uh, Symbian and you know, people developing everything in C and there's very specific, you know, no web technologies involved. Um, you know, I, th- I think that it, it had not really become a broad based phenomenon that was relevant to all developers. If we look at mobile now, I mean, you know, obviously you still have um, uh, specific languages for building mobile applications, but at the same time, it's much closer to, uh, web development than it used to be, yeah. and you know what we see is it, it's it's that you know we we see a lot of of leading indicators. We are always interested in kind of finding interesting technologies and individuals that are living in the future, in order to understand you know that future is is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. In order to understand what some of the the prospects are, but we don't. I, I wouldn't say we have a hierarchy. I mean, you know, we are just as interested in the kinds of things that a developer working as you know software engineer working south of market at uh you know the coolest uh new uh, highly funded startup uh is doing as as you know honestly we'd be just as interested in you know the conversations we have with you know 45 50 55 year old java developers uh in in enterprises that are thinking about hang on a second how do I take my skills, uh, modernize them, modernize the organization, modernize my applications? So we, no, I don't think we have a hierarchy, um, but we definitely have an understanding. That, look, there are different kinds of folks. You know, not everybody wants to live and breathe it. Um, people come from very different backgrounds. Uh, the the rise of the sort of the boot camp um, developers, and some of them are so brilliant. Um, and and you know, you don't necessarily, you certainly don't have to have for example, a computer science degree uh, to do great work. Um, but but all of these constituencies, you know, we take an advocacy position about uh, how do we bring uh, more developers into the industry? How do we keep them here? How do we make a more welcoming industry and a better industry for everyone? So I think that, that, that yeah, uh, definitely not a fan of, of gatekeeping. Yep. And, and I worry that, you know, like if we were, if, oh, this is the hierarchy. Uh, we we might slip into that. So we just try and understand lots of different kinds of developers, lots of different kinds of folks. Um, what are their incentives? Um, what are their goals? What makes them tick? And it's that richness, I think, that 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 keeps me going, that keeps the firm going, 
that gets us up every day excited to learn more about the industry and and help uh, the industry and our clients to um, to understand that as well. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I yeah, I think so much of so much of the headlines is yeah, some some you know quote unquote rock star developer out of Silicon Valley, but there's you know there's just as many folks like you said that are uh, you know building amazing applications that are helping you know, fishermen in Southeast Asia that just have a mobile phone or something, you know, I mean, there's, there's such a humongous variety. It's, it's good to see that you guys are, are like, Hey, we're, you know, we're trying to bring more people in. We're interested in all different ways people are doing it. And, you know, creative ideas come from, come from all over the place. Well, look, I mean, to your point geographically, I mean, you take a geography like Nigeria and obviously um, a lot of political issues uh, happening there, the recent election, um, a lot of tension, but as a as a as a geography, it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, it's 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 a really significant population. Um, you know, lots of young people, um, a lot of of folks. You know, in in tech, and and yeah, it's coming from from all sides anymore. Um, there's there's a lot more to this industry than Silicon Valley. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So obviously, you've only got a finite amount of time in your day to you know focus on things. Um, you've got different people coming at you. What are what are some of the trends that either you or just the broader team are sort of focused on these days to say, okay, how do we you know not only scratch the surface but but have a, a deeper opinion on things? Do do the sort of research that you do. What are what are you know if, if somebody said like, hey, what are your top five or six things that uh, that you're focused on? What what might those be? You know in in 2023, or at least, you know, at this time? Yeah, I mean, we've been focusing a lot on developer experience, which is perhaps obvious, but as, as a topic, um, it, it, you know, it, it perhaps was not uh, considered to be important to a lot of organizations. The idea that a, a bank would be concerned about developer experience not so long ago would have been absurd. Uh, here we are in 2023, and it's very clear that more and more orgs are concerned about developer experience. How do they deliver it? Um, we live in a world where there's this huge um, opportunity. Uh, I mentioned open source cloud, uh, the fact that you know there's so much code on GitHub and so on. I can go to NPM, there's libraries for everything. Um, uh, no need to ask for permission. That's great. But one of the things that happens, of course, is the developer then ends up um, pulling a bunch of things together, uh, building something. And there is also an aspect of Oh great! Okay, you built it. Now you you can manage it. I mean, it's the classic, uh, you know. Yeah, you you build it, you run it, um, you break it, you fix it. Um, well, there are a lot of overheads, cognitive overheads associated with that. And I think the, you know, we're now seeing sort of waves of, um, you know, better developer experience. Uh, now you know we're seeing companies that are specifically funded to provide better developer experiences. We look at at some of the companies that are. Sort of dominating, do extremely good work at the moment. Um, you know, folks like Netlify or Vercel. Um, they're all about understanding developer workflows, understanding that developer opinion, uh, instantiating that in their platform, and making more and more people productive. So I, I think that you know, and, and now we're onto a whole new wave of tools. So just looking at organizations um, and, and their needs to support their developers, and then the 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 companies and projects that are supporting that. I guess. You know, related, um, I, I read a piece about this recently. I, I think one of the things that's that's very interesting in that regard is just a huge difference. Uh, even in 2022, beginning of 2022, you might have been writing about developer experience and not really mentioning AI. Okay, we got sort of 
you know, co-pilot in, in the periphery of our vision, but it wouldn't be central. End of 2022, beginning of 2023, and I think increasingly, um, yeah, uh, you know, AI, um, large language models, uh, machine learning is coming to a developer experience near you, and that's going to be a transformative uh, phenomenon in this industry for the 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 you know for now and 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 the near future. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think a, a, another area would be, um, um, you know. Uh, cloud development environments and cloud developer environments. So for the longest time, I mean, you know, certainly the notion of a browser-based IDE is not new. Um, that That's something that, that that the industry has been kind of working on for, you know, at least 10 years. Uh, on the other hand, it does seem a little bit at the moment that we, we've got a bit of a sort of crossing the chasm phenomenon going on um, where the advantages, if we think about kinds of, of, cloud-based services we're using, if we think about the fact that we're dealing with these immutable um, uh, infrastructures, if we think about the fact that the tooling has just got better. Uh, and, and yeah, so the ability to um, you know, collapse that distinction, it's partly the distinction uh, actually that we, we, we see you know, between um, you know, production and development and really providing a, a better experience for people that is cloud-based um, I, I think it's very interesting uh, sort of thinking through the implications of a world um, in in which, you know, code spaces is effectively competing with um, Apple. Um, because on the one hand, you've got Apple creating these incredible, highly performant machines, thus encouraging the developer sort of, you know, Mac huggers uh, against this idea of, hang on a second, I've got all of these services running in the cloud. I've got all these APIs running in the cloud it makes a lot of sense for me to begin to break down the boundaries between local and cloud-based development. So I think that's uh, a phenomenon that, that we're quite interested in. Uh, I talk a lot about progressive delivery, um, the, the rise of, you know, underpinned by more effective automation, the fact that we've got this abundance of cloud, you know, I can spin up 10,000 containers in a very short space of time. Um, that's certainly a, a different world from the one that you and I grew up with, Brian uh, and Aaron. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that the, the sort of the abundance is there that we can now do blue greens, um, you know, A-B testing, feature flags much more effectively than we used to be able to do. And I think organizations thinking about, OK, we're, we're, we're doing and are building on those foundations of CICD and all of the great work that's there. But we can we can de-risk further. We can move faster. And so for me, I mean, progressive delivery, it's a term I came up with. Yep. It resonated with people. Redmond usually doesn't invent terms, but that one seems to have resonated. So I'm spending a lot of time on that. Um, I think the the company as a whole, obviously, there's a, a ton of interesting stuff happening around data and um, data architectures. Uh, we recently hired um, um, uh, uh, Dr. Kate Holteroff, um, and uh, she's much more front end oriented than we've seen uh, in the company as a whole. Uh, you know, we've tended to be more the 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 you know back end focus. She's bringing that front end, and then finally, I, I think tech comms. The importance of uh, technical communications getting better at it. Clearly, that has developer experience implications as well. And uh, Kate and um, uh, Dr. Kelly Fitzpatrick on the team um, are, are very very much about uh, the importance of education and technical communication um, in in uh, in in people becoming more effective in their jobs. So, yeah, those, I think, would be some of the topics that are 
front of mind uh, for us. And then, you know, all the usual stuff, the build out of Kubernetes, um, the, the, the rise of weight. How do we abstract away from Kubernetes, uh, platform engineering, um, uh, you know, supporting golden paths. Uh, and that sort of stuff. So I would say those would be some of the topics that we're interested in right now. Yeah, no, good stuff. It's uh, yeah, anything, uh, yeah, all the work that that is going on to to simplify things for developers. And again, a lot of this really boils down to the thing you you you, know, you talked about before, right? There's there's so many people that that potentially can be contributing as developers. The the more we make it simple, the more pathways we give them that they're. They're not tied to their device. They can be using cloud services. They uh, they can be building their career because not only are they you know good in front of the keyboard, but they can communicate that to people. All, all those things are, are really really important. Um, I want to talk about something that I know you've you've dabbled in uh, in the past, and it, it kind of has a it's had a rocky uh, life cycle. I feel like is is this concept of of platforms and platform as a service, and and uh, you know now there's sort of a concept of platform engineering. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Paz started off as this panacea. You were, you know, around in the Heroku days and Cloud Foundry days, and and you know the idea of like one platform uh, allowed developers to to write their code. Everything else gets out of the way. Um, it's it's kind of gone through fits and starts. We've seen some success. We've seen you know people kind of fall back and say, well, you know that one doesn't fit for all my different uh, you know my languages. It doesn't fit for exactly how we do that. How do you you know how do you see that? sort of part of the, the, you know, developer experience. I know Adrian Cockroft wrote a thing, uh, just a few weeks ago, sort of like his, his Netflix experience of, of platforms and, and platform engineering, where he sort of said, you know, the mistake people make is they think there's going to be one platform. And the reality is there's all these sort of micro platforms, uh, for, you know, a type of job or a type of language or type of something. Do you, you know, have you, have you sort of seen, do you have any, uh, a, a viewpoint on, on where we are today with this idea of, of platforms for making developers' lives easier? Are we resigned to just having, you know, every language is going to have their own? Where do you, where do you sort of see paths having shaken out after 10 years or so of, of the industry trying to figure it out? Well, you know, I think uh, it, it, it's a great question. And I, I, you know, have jokingly said in the past, you know, the 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 IT industry is just endlessly remaking remakes of Heroku. <laughs> um, you know, we we live in an industry of implement, re-implement, rinse, repeat, and that's true in all sorts of areas. Um, where I mean, oh, you know, look at this, look at this thing. This is completely new. Virtualization. Meanwhile, yeah. you know, mainframes have been doing it for like thirty years or whatever. Um, it's sort of the, the, the packaging exercises that we go through, um, uh, you know, containers, uh, was a subsystem that was absolutely there in Linux. Um, but Docker had to, uh, package it up in a way to make it more consumable. Um, yeah, opinions are great, but, uh, they can make people productive. Um, the platform can instantiate an opinion, um, but there is no one, I mean, if we think about, you know, Heroku and 12 Factor, that went so well, people thinking through the way that they should be building applications uh, in order to take advantage of sort of modern um, infrastructures. Um, but the, the the truth is, is that, I mean, there's always edge cases. And, you know, what, what would I do? Go to, um, you know, Vodafone and say what you need to do is is kick out the infrastructure you're building on top of Kubernetes and use Vercel for everything, that just wouldn't make any sense. I mean, as long as I've been in the industry, we've we've certainly had 
you know, a difference between um, somewhat of a difference between transactional applications um, and, you know, the question of where state uh, is managed and then applications that are just more content sort of based. I think the truth is, is that um, there's never going to be one size fits all um, any more than we're going to have one language that is the only programming language that everyone uses. I don't think we're going to have one platform that meets all opinions and workflows. I think one of the things I find interesting uh, at the moment is about this platform engineering question. And as it meets the platform itself is, how can we have some sort of policy and establish, let the organization curate um, different um, uh, like flavors of the platform so that it is applicable in different areas. But no, I mean, look, it's 2023. Uh, the, the simple fact is, is that, um, yeah, no platform is going to make everyone happy. And developers are going to go and find the thing that best suits the 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 job that needs to be done, and and so yeah, I I think that that it it you know there's balance um, from infrastructure back to PaaS. You know we're seeing it now that the the Kubernetes build out. Then everyone's like, hang on a minute, this is too complicated. We need to simplify this. You mentioned Cloud Foundry. Cloud Foundry was you know very much a hang on a second. How can we just can we just take a step back and standardize some things? And I think that's where we are with Kubernetes. And um, yeah, so PaaS ideas are super helpful, but there is no one PaaS that is going to meet all development uh, requirements. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that's sort of shaken out in the market. And uh, yeah, it's, it, like you said, there's been there's been plenty of companies who have who have you know, tried to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes they struggle, but then, like you said, there's been others like, like Vercel and, uh, you know, and others who have just said, look, we're going to focus on one specific type of, of experience and be really good at that. And so you mm-hmm. know, the market is shaken out like, like you would expect it. Um, you mentioned language, uh, languages, uh, Red Monk is, uh, famous for, I think it's twice a year now, you guys come out with your, uh, sort of language survey, language, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rankings and so forth. Um, it does feel like a little bit with the language in the language space. Um, it's always the same at the top. It's Java and Ruby or you know, Python and, and, you know, the, the sort of the, the famous top 10, because there's so much code that's written, it's not going away. And then there's always one sort of new shiny thing. Maybe it's Rust or Go, or it is... What do you guys sort of get out of tracking the languages? Are there are there really big things that happen? Are you just trying to find that one uh, outlier that that might be something new that might be really useful for a use case? I mean, how, how do people tend to to interpret um, you know all the all the analysis that you guys put together? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think one of the beauties of our rankings is that um, they generate attention. You know, we want to yeah. be part of that industry conversation, and they have the beauty of you know, frankly, appealing to, you know, the the two fundamental forces in the universe, um, which are outrage and confirmation bias. <laughs> um, so, you know, people are either angry at us because we didn't, you know, write about their widget, um, or they are extremely happy that we did. Um, you know, obviously, there has been such consistency um, at the sort of the top of the rankings, JavaScript continues to grow and grow and sort of you know, uh, find new uh, niches um, to populate those niches. I mean, in terms of that sort of survival of the fittest, which really means fitting into niches, um, JavaScript has just been phenomenal at that. Uh, For me, one interesting thing there is the rise of TypeScript, where, you know, I begin to wonder whether we'll have 
you know, the top two rankings indeed will be JavaScript and then TypeScript. Um, uh, you know, is it possible that TypeScript uh, overtakes Python? I, I, I believe it is. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there is quite a lot of stability, you know, and a language like Java is not going anywhere. But to your point, yeah, that you're always looking for, um, will the outliers become mainstream? And why might they? General purpose is so important. If you're not a general purpose language, highly unlikely you will. So language like, like Go sort of exploded onto the scene, clearly a huge amount of interest. It was associated with that Kubernetes wave. Um, for systems programming, obviously Go was was uh, a language getting getting a, a lot of attention and adoption, um, but it, it, it didn't cross over as a general purpose language. Um, I think at the moment we're seeing a lot of excitement around, around Rust. Um, you know, the, the industry as a whole is is thinking about type safety, um, but certainly thinking about security. And and Rust is getting a lot of attention, um, and and in some weird and interesting use cases. Um, some more front end, certainly some more back end. Um, but the the uh, is you know, is Rust going to become? I mean, you know, are we? As popular as JavaScript, I I think that's pretty unlikely. Yeah. Uh, to be frankly, uh, to be frank, it 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 has um, a huge amount of utility in the those use cases that it's finding. Um, but but yeah, so uh, I, I think some of that discussion around oh, and you asked about trends we're interested in. You know, another one if we think about this, that's sometimes called edge, but 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 the rise of sort of uh, you know wasm and wasi. Um, that's an interesting one because on the one hand, everyone's like, it's polyglot. You can write any language and run it anywhere. Um, sounds great. Um, but then there's another constituency is like, well, obviously you're going to be writing your edge workers in Rust. So I think that the, the, the debate goes on and on. Um, what we see is organizations tend to grow explosively, but because the rankings are not noisy by design, um, they, they are accretive. They are looking at behaviors over time, um, that we, pull from Stack Overflow and GitHub, um, that, that uh, yeah, it, it's very rare that a language breaks into um, the, you know, the top four or, 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 or whatever. And, and it, in fact, yeah, that transition when finally Python seemed to sort of overtake Java and the rankings are still quite a leading indicator. Um, you know, we don't have, you know, we don't have like telemetry across every enterprise on the planet and what they're, they're using. That was a, a pretty interesting moment. Uh, you know, there was another quarter when Java, or another uh, half year when Java sort of came back. They were back at parity, but it does really seem like Python, and I think it's partly because it's so powerful for those 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 data driven applications, that data data science kinds of applications, um, as well as those more general purpose use cases. Um, yeah, so we're we're just you know we're always interested in in funky new stuff. Um, it would be a pretty boring company if we only spent our time looking at Java um, and Spring and, and so on. But on the other hand, we have to be cognizant of, hang on a second, let's let's look at what is widely used um, uh, by a wide range of people. So you, you want you you want to be able to have a view on both. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Last question. I want to be conscious of your time. So, you know, there are there are a million, I don't know, like threads and discussions and, and trends and so forth that is trying to figure out not just technically, but but culturally, how do we 
you know, how do we give developers flexibility? How do we enable developers to, to focus on writing code and not have to, uh, you know, not have to be burdened with a whole bunch of infrastructure or security stuff? So whether it's DevOps or SRE or platform engineering or any of those things, like how, you know, as you talked, you know, so you obviously talk to a lot of companies and people who are like, hey, we're in the DevOps space or we're in platform engineering. But when you talk to developers, how much of that do they look at and they go, uh, I still just want to, I still just want to write code. I mean, do you find the majority of developers kind of don't care about that stuff? They, they're glad people are trying to make it simpler for them. Or do you feel like they're actively involved in these self-service activities or other things because they're like, well, you know, I can't get away with just sort of writing code and throwing it over the wall anymore. What, what, where do you, where do you see developers view on that? Cause we see a lot of infrastructure view, but where do you see sort of the developers view on these sort of overlapping trends, if you will? Uh, yeah, well, the answer is, of course, that it depends. Yeah. Um, uh, some developers are very much, uh, I just want to build the application. Um, and, you know, that's great. That is absolutely a good uh, focus and approach to have. You know, I just want to be able to build uh, applications. That's what we're doing here. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you are web company, bank, telco, even a, you know, a major retailer or whatever today, um, you're, you're going to want some people that do care about both. So much whilst, you know, oh my goodness, you know, does every developer need to know about like Helm charts and YAML and everything else in uh, building and deploying applications to run on Kubernetes? We certainly hope not. Um, but on the other hand, if you don't have anyone in your organization that understands those things and something about the application logic as well, things are, are, are not going to be so awesome either. And I, I just think that at the moment, we're probably seeing a bit of a shift back to kind of specialization. We've spoken a lot about DevOps. I think this platform engineering phenomenon is a bit of a an acceptance that, that actually there are some people that are ops-oriented and um, they need a set of tools to do their job. Yes, they should be involved in the curation of experiences that developers like and love, Um but they're, they're fundamentally actually different roles. So we need some of those, I don't know, for want of a better word, sort of T-shaped people, um, people that, 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 that do want to get down in the weeds and build the apps. But no, there are, um, it would be doing a disservice to um, application developers everywhere to say, hey, you also need to know all of this stuff, which is honestly, it's not, I mean, look at Google, right? So Kubernetes came out of Google. It's based on um, uh, um, a, a Borg, an internal project, or not an internal platform that, that Google has. Do we think that every developer at Google is contributing to Borg system internals? Absolutely not. You've got a platform team that does that. And then you've got, obviously, uh, application teams in tons of different areas that will be taking advantage of that but they don't need to know all the ins and outs. They, they, you know, they need to know how to use it. They don't necessarily need to know how it works. And I think that's one of just the big, you know, we, we are not all car mechanics. Um, you know, we, 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 we drive cars. We don't need to know. Um, we don't need to know how they work anymore. Right. Um, and, and they're so complicated. We probably couldn't. You know, if we think about the the diagnostics in a modern car, which is basically a you know a, a computer on a on a on a you know 
on, a, on an internal combustion engine or ideally an electric, um, uh, a battery, an electric drive shaft or whatever. Um, yeah, we don't need to know how it works in order to use it. And I, I guess that would be the, you know, in sum, um, we can't expect everyone to do everything. Uh, we should be focusing on getting the most out of our people, understanding sort of their needs, hiring accordingly, building sometimes cross-disciplinary teams, sometimes just deep single domain teams. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that that if I know anything and I've learned anything in my time in the industry is that one size does not fit all. So yeah, I, I think that... that um, yeah, let app let app developers build apps, and that was part of the beauty. I mean, you mentioned Paz, but the beauty of that Rails wave, people were just so productive in in building those applications, and there's a lot to be a lot to be said for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff, James. Thank you so much for the time today. Uh, learned a bunch. Uh, it's been you know, we, we've been wanting to have you on the show for for a very long time. It was great to finally do it. Uh, Folks, um, if you haven't had a chance to to check out Redmonk, redmonk.com, all the links that are in the show notes, definitely go check out uh, what all of them are doing. Really great insights on uh, developer trends, on you know the interaction of of you know all sorts all sorts of different types of, of applications that are building, uh, getting built. Um, definitely a resource that, that Aaron and I uh, use all the time. So, James, thank you again, uh, folks. That I'm going to wrap it up. Want to thank him for his time. Uh, Want to thank you all for for listening, for telling a friend. Uh, had somebody reach out to me the other day and said, "Hey, man, we told I, to, I told 30 friends about the show. Well, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for you telling one friend. So, with that, I'm going to wrap it up, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 